hey, what's up? How did you get here? Man, it was a long, long, long journey. But I had to come when I heard that you were building a metaverse. Yeah, yeah. Hani Rashid, the world-renowned Hani Rashid. I mean, I've seen some of your architecture, not as intimate as you have. And you've been designing for a few decades now. What you? I remember your first project when it came into the digital realm. Tell us about that. Was it 1999? Do I really have to date myself that I mean, badly? no, you don't have to date it. It's so, just like the, the credibility <laughs> factor here. Yeah, yeah. So, no, um, yeah, no, we, we were... Uh, Okay, we designed a project in Los Angeles back in, in the first project we designed and I ever did in, in 89, yeah, 88. And it was uh, for a monument over the Hollywood freeway. And it was this crazy project called the LA uh, Steel Cloud. Um, and it was this project that had, you know, um, rotating, like sort of oscillating aquariums, massive digital library, outdoor cinemas. It was celebrating kind of American culture, pop culture um, for the, the West Coast. It was the West Coast version of the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast. And um, we went nuts. I mean, we were totally into all kinds of theory. We were reading Neuromancer. We were, you know, obsessed with Blade Runner, Sid Mead. I mean, you name it, all those influences. And um, we built it, and we won the competition. It was an international competition. Uh, it put us on the map. We were on, like, front page of uh, national newspapers. We were on the, you know, Dan Rather did a piece on us. But what we didn't understand was we got ridiculed a lot. Like, it was like... Um, Nobody had ever seen this anything like this before. It was kind of this crazy, insane project. And, um, you know, I remember when Dan Rather presented it, it landed behind him like a spaceship because George Takai was one of the jury members. So <laughs> that's all they focused on. I mean, also, you know, Robert Wilson was a jury member. Wow. Octavio Paz was a jury member. But all we heard about was, was George Takai. And, and so we realized, like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And I was, like, in my late, mid-20s. And so... Um, so there you go. There's the dating. And, um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, so I realized after, like, getting trashed in the national press and, you know, I was brought up in Canada, so I, I went to CBC News and did an interview and they kind of, like, asked me if I was crazy. And I said, you know, I, I remember becoming obsessed with the idea that I have to show people how this building would look if it was built. Yep. And that triggered a whole interest in computing um, and in getting, like, our first computers at that time. Um, and then starting to work in digital media. And then I kicked off the Columbia University Digital Media Department where we designed, you know, with computers and we did all, all of that, uh, early work. Um, and that, that spawned an interest one day. So after doing a lot of this, as well as a lot of building design, there was a knock on the door and this, um, kind of portly gentleman shows up and, uh, an ex-Israeli tank driver is the way he introduced himself. I'm like, okay, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, and his name is George Siegel, fantastic guy. And George says, you know, have you ever thought about working, uh, building a virtual reality environment commercially? Yep. And I said, well, you know, we're doing all this theoretical work. And he said, well, let's show me some of your work. And so the first thing I put on the screen was the film Rope by, by Hitchcock, um, dismantled frame by frame. And then you could run through a set of these, what we call billboarding at the time. And you run through these billboards and you run through the entire film as if it was the rope that, that Hitchcock used mm. to make the film. And then we have, of course, one black frame, which was the back of the guy's jacket. And then we go to the second part. And, and I'm showing it to this guy. And I said, what, what company are you from? And he goes, the New York Stock Exchange. And I'm like, <laughs> and I just showed you this crazy, like, rope thing. Yeah. You know? And he's like, yeah, it's show me some more. So we show him some more things. And then finally he says, okay. We have a problem. We've been trying to build a virtual reality environment for the, for the trading floor of the stock exchange. We've been working on it for f- six years with MIT. 
um, some very good people at MIT, but they said we cannot get the, the, a buy-in from the clients from the New York Stock Exchange. They just don't understand that it. it's, it's extremely technical what MIT is doing. Mm-hmm. Again, it was a lot of this kind of 2D billboarding and rotating and data on, on boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, okay, you know, we'll try it. And so Lisa and I look at each other and go, so what would we do to make a virtual stock exchange? And I've actually never told the New York Stock Exchange this story, but it's probably going to air now. Um, I said, you know, my obsession in grad school was with Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. And I said, you know, that's what the stock exchange is. It's purgatory, heaven, and hell. And why not build a VR environment around Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights? And so we never told them that. We, <laughs> we designed it. We got very technically involved. They pumped a ton of money into it. Um, and it got built, and Dick Grasso used it after 9-11 to, to test the environment. Um, and it's still working today on the trading floor down there. Uh, I don't think they want to know it was based on uh, the Garden of Earthly Delights, but right. it, was, it was a great way to transition from uh, a technical problem into a humanist problem. Okay. And to make it about you know, the, the visceral human experience of, of being in VR space. Um, did you have another question? Yeah, well, <laughs> when I hear that story, right, the, the, the thread that captivates me the most is the fact that, you know, you've been consistent. Literally, you had this idea fascinated by technology and space and being able to showcase that. And here we are jumping forward a few decades and we're, we're now in, you know, the metaverse, which is quite frankly, uh, a loaded word. Like, yeah. what does the metaverse mean to you? So because, I'm, because I originally did, did read Snow Crash back then, um, you know, it was a dystopian, it's a dystopian idea, you know, that, that was there. But of course, um, it's taken such a, a massive turn, um, especially with, you know, Facebook and everything else that's, that's bought into it and the world getting into it, um, that I think the word has transcended its dystopian kind of original lexicon or roots. Um, but what it, what it really is, is, is something that... Okay, so in that period, mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time at Seagraph, and we spent a lot of time um, with, a, with different groups doing all kinds of VRML stuff and all kinds of what was called VRML at the time. I don't know if you know what VRML is. Um, and we were doing all this work, and we worked with a company called Cybernaut. And okay. Cybernaut was um, a retina-scanning headset company. Wow. And I remember going down to Seagraph with the New York Stock Exchange gang, and they were like, you know, suit and tie spreadsheet guys <laughs> and I said okay this company has a headset you're going to put this on and you're going to see the VR environment we've created for you and you can actually fly around in it and you know at that time that sounded ridiculously radical yeah for sure and they said and they started to put them on they go well, how does this technology work and the guy from Cybernaut says it's a retina scan Mm-hmm. And, they got, and they look at go retina scan. I go, yeah, we we project a laser into the back of your retina, <laughs> and they go like, bang on the table, going, no, no, there's no way we're going to have like you know our, our our retinas like laser scan. And I remember thinking, okay, so this technology has a way to go before you get a a buy in and you can start you know getting it to be more popular. Now, I feel like literally the story of Rip Van Winkle because you know. The, the dot-com crash came, yep. 9-11, right. uh, the bottom fell out of all the, everyone pulled their funding out. We were very much involved in this, in that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of years, we've seen this incredible rise. And then the rise in the metaverse and the rise in the technology is the result of 
manageable hardware and, and a major acceleration in, in the capabilities of our technology. So the fact that we have standalone headsets that carry computing power that allow us to go into the metaverse is a massive step forward. Um, the fact that we have software and we can develop software like, like Unity or um, Unreal Engine where we can actually build worlds. Um, we as architects have always been building virtual worlds. So all of a sudden we have all of these um, amazing capabilities and tools that are at our disposal. Right. And it occurred to me as we were doing that, um, and then, of course, meeting uh, Corolla and uh, you and the, the Minty crew, I realized that, you know, it's, ma- it's basically a, a little flip of the switch to be building these fascinating worlds in a, in a completely immersive environment in which we can feel, get into a space, not only being comfortable, but also experience a kind of metaphysical um, a metaphysical aspect of spatiality, which is a big thing for us as architects. Um, so let me stop there. I mean, when I think about the web, so if we go to the web in the, the, the mid to early 90s, you have effectively web pages like Yahoo GeoCities and, you know, listicle directory things where people would go and they would read information. Right. And that's era one. Era two, you have web, web two, which is largely referred to as the read-write era, where people would go and find information, but they could also have a blog or they could have a social media profile. And then you have Web3, which is the era we're currently coexisting in, where you have you know artificial intelligence and machine learning doing all kinds of crazy things and creating spatial environments, sort of like what we're about to showcase today. But you also have the concept of ownership and spatial awareness, as you, as you were much describing. What is different to you, having been in each generation, about this era and this this arc this architecture? Because I mean, you're a designer, so it's like you've been designing in each era. But this era, you're you seem to be a little bit more honed in. So Marshall McLuhan wrote um, very prophetically and, and very profoundly that um, to move into new media, you need to quote the old media. That's mm-hmm. the famous axiom of his. And, I, and I've always thought about that in, in terms of every transition. I mean, the transitions before our, our time generationally of, you know, uh, radio to television, for example, mm-hmm. um, and so on. So the Internet and the, and the metaverse, let's say now, um, has been moving in a kind of rapid, almost hockey stick-like curve um, towards this taking old media, quoting it, moving into new media, right? Okay. So, so going through the, the web, let's say web 1.0 paradigm or 2.0, of the magazine to the to the to the internet browser right. to the to the web page, um, I think that that trajectory for me. What's interesting about that is not so much what's driving me. Let's say is not so much where we are here and now. It's where this hockey stick is going, and where it's going is, um, and I'm convinced of this. Like no one's going to convince me otherwise. Is that we're moving towards um, completely hybridized augmented reality um, experiences of the real. So what we are now, we're now at the, at the nascent period of that. This is a big step forward. Um, eventually our experiences, much like they are now with, with our phones or our, you know, tools, uh, we're pretty well tied to our phones. We're cyber, we're cyber, you know, we're kind of cyborgs already, right? We, we walk around with the phones with, you know, I'm, I'm losing my mind now because my phone's upstairs. So I'm like, oh, you know what's going on. So to break that down in this new reality that you see transforming, there is the current world, which is the world that we live in, you know, the one that we're existing and having this conversation in. Right. And then there is a digital clone of that world or some. No, that's the, the, the stages we're in now is, is well, that's one of the one of the theories, I guess. But the stages we're in now is that we're building new worlds to supplement these worlds. Okay. Um, and then I think what's interesting about that is that we are um, 
developing a new set of um, requisites or paradigms or, or rationales for another reality, which um, we will think of as real. The experiences that we're, we're having, and I knew this from back at the early stages of working in VR and VRML software and, and experimenting with my students at Columbia University, is that we are developing what we would call real experiences in augmented or virtual reality. So in other words, we can refer to them. And one of the first things I remember thinking, you know, I remember when I had my first group of students at Columbia uh, in the digital design labs. So the idea was get rid of pencils, paper, you know, tools, and mm-hmm. just work on computing. And I remember we, were, we did a very hardcore, like immersive studio, and it was all about phenomenology and about how the, the digital tools can create phenomenological experiences. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing this like for three or four months. And then I went up to one of my students, um, Michael, and I said, Mike, um, are you okay? Because he was like, you know, and I looked at him and he looks at me and his eyes are bloodshot red. And I go, are you, are you all right? He goes, you know, man, I got to tell you something. He goes, three, three months in, 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 in the computer and digital media, reality is so fucking interesting. <laughs> and I thought, that's kind of interesting, right? That the, 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 the depth of immersion in virtual starts to change the way we think of the real. Got it. Um, and I remember there's a very famous book in our discipline in architecture by a guy named Walter Gropius who wrote that to understand space, um, his first entire chapter in Bauhaus Architect, um, you need to understand the, the nature of light moving on a cube in a room through an entire day. Okay. And I remember reading that as, a, as a, you know, I started studying architecture and I thought it's pretty amazing. I, mean, I don't know if I have the time to sit for a whole day and stare at a cube, but um, and Solowit, by the way, did some interesting stuff with that later. But the idea that, um, that the thing is under constant transformation produces a kind of metaphysical experience of the room. And I started to realize in the computer that we are developing equally compelling experiences that now are our references. So whereas once we might have referenced a sunset or the movement of wind in the trees or the sound of a voice, right. uh, we have real um, sort of digitally constructed experiences that are that we refer to now as real. So I want to take that concept. You know, you, you have this cube, it moves in a room, and you see the light and how it reflects and just changes just the entire environment and mood. But you do that in real life as, as an architect. You go and you build buildings. You right. put, put things in places that everyone can eventually experience and yeah. just be in awe of. When you go over to a digital medium, how do you still have the, the disciplines of that practice? Because... You don't really, the light can be always on in a digital environment. Yeah, no, the, the parameters shift. That's what I'm saying, that the, the virtual experiences and the virtual um, sort of, but they have their own, they have their own sets of, of sort of variables that are interesting. Does yeah. architecture change because of that? Absolutely. The, a- f- f- absolutely. I mean, you could almost write a book these days, and I'm surprised nobody has yet, but you could almost theorize that most of contemporary architecture in the last 10 to 15 years, maybe 20 years, has been really influenced by rendering. Um, Explain that a little okay, bit. Okay, so <laughs> a lot of architects will hate me for saying it, but you know, the the power of rendering tools has had such an influence over the way we create buildings um, that we we generate um, we refer to the renderings and we refer to the effects in the renderings, the lighting effects, the qualities of space, the the the, the whole ambience. You know, we we will use renderings to test these things. And eventually, that the renderings become the thing that we think is what we're doing. And when we start to build, and I, I can take you out the side here and look at Long Island City, and you can, you know, most of the buildings built in the past ten, at least ten years, maybe more, 
um, are, are really kind of enacted renderings. Hmm. They're not like the way architecture was before, which was kind of create a vision and then render it and then in a pencil or in a crayon yeah. or something um, or paintbrush and then kind of like, you know, show it as what it might look like. Right. Now we show what it is supposed to look like. And then the big thing that we find as architects, which is really amazing, is that we have clients. Well, put it another way. In the buildings we have built, the one thing that Lizanne and I pride ourselves and our team pride ourselves on the most is that we really want our buildings, we want at the end to hear the words that this looks better than the rendering. <laughs> because 10 to most of the time, architects are here, oh, it looks so much better in the rendering. Right. What happened? And I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in the metaverse, it's all about the render. Right. And with the render, that is what the end user experiences. So does that mean the architects were ahead of the curve? Oh, look, I've always went back, way back. If you can find some early papers I wrote on this in, in the Pratt Journal and a few other places. the um, I was convinced that architects are suited for this because we've always worked in VR, okay. I mean, technically. Um, there's a very famous, you know, the Carcieri series by a guy named Piranesi, super important to us as architects, which was done by, you know, Piranesi as a kind of the Carcieri, which is a series of prison etchings and drawings mm-hmm. that could never be built. Um, but they're very famous for, hmm. in, in architectural history, um, and their history, and they are famous because they are completely his mind's eye enacted on paper, um, it, and they were never meant to be built. And we have a whole, we had a whole history in our discipline of what was called paper architects, where architects like and the guy that I interned with when I first came to New York, Levius Woods, was basically building things to never be built. Got it. I want to talk about your Design work in the the Dementi metaverse. Right. Tell me a bit about your experience with Dementi thus far. Like, I mean, you're not the traditional artist. When I see Dementi and I, I, I come in and look at it, you know, you traditionally think Web3 and the transition. Uh, architect is an artist, but it's not necessarily always viewed as such. What, what was that experience like? So I, I was intrigued from the minute I heard about you guys and started working with you because I, I realized that you are, um, in a, you are the most, we are, I think, now that I'm part of you, um, the most interesting positioned group to really try and bridge the um, the worlds that are taking place right now in right. the worlds of, of, of you know the metaverse in terms of art NFT art um, you know tokens uh, all, all the stuff that's going on right. um, and and I thought that what's interesting was that there's a there's a maturity in the Dementi group or a, a sort of a, a, a f- a really intense um, sort of group thinkers within the group who in fact see the, the the problem and the possibility of bridging those worlds. Right. Um, you know, the average kind of, not average, I don't know if there's such thing as average, but most NFT artists are doing remarkable things. They're experimenting. They're this kind of wild west. Um, and, and They're having fun with it. Yeah, and there's highs and lows and there's all kinds of stuff. But, you know, that's not unlike every other radical movement in the art world historically where you had, you know, groups in Paris in 1919 who were having a lot of fun and, and causing a lot of problems. Um, you know, called the Dadaists or the Letterists or the Situationalists uh, or the Debords, <laughs> and um, you know that that um, phenomena of, of breaking the rules, going against the grain, uh, radicalizing the status quo right. is is art, is the origins of art. So the fact that, but but then on the flip side of that, you have something kind of amazing in the world too. You have the art market, you have museum culture. Uh, you have um, the notion of pedigree, you have the notion of covenants and, 
and provenance, sorry, and, and you have all of that. So it's an interesting kind of, it's Dante's seventh ring of hell. <laughs> you, you, you love the hoarder, these references. The hoarders and the wasters. I don't know if you know the, the, the Dante's Inferno, but of course. there's this moment you know, where the hoarders and the wasters are, are spending a lot of time battling it out, um, and Dante's watching from above. It's a little bit that, um, and that's, but I think that's amazing, and that's fascinating, and so it's a kind of pivotal moment in history. Uh, for that reason, it's, it's very, very explicit. So yeah, so I want to I want to check out the work that you've built. But before we get in there, like what 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 type of mind should I come into this with? Into the Dementi verse? Yes. Um, I think what we've really s- struggled and I think succeeded in doing is to produce a trans again the McLuhan thing of producing a, a transitional world that you in the beginning start to sense of, you have a sense of comfort and knowing you understand something of this because you've been. You've had real museum experiences, real gallery experiences, real art world experiences, I guess, installations, video, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the Mintiverse is a kind of, I think, a kind of vessel. Um, we're designing it as a kind of vessel to transition you from that into a far more radical and, um, and unexpected place, in, in there, which we're developing and, and other people are developing. So it's kind of, but I think it, what's missing right now is that transitional um, that kind of conduit um, that to make sort of to bring all kinds because the question I asked myself I mean we were sitting in a restaurant last night you know Louisiana and I and I was looking around I said so how many of these people in this restaurant would want to go to a have a virtual art experience right you know? and, and I don't think the numbers were very high when I looked around the room it was in you know up in Brooklyn Heights <laughs> so I'm like you know but what would make these people kind of say to each other across the table did you see that show um, I need to go, you know, you got to see that show. And they say, where is it? Is it in Chelsea? You know, is it in the Lower East Side? No, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the metaverse. You, you have to see this work. And I think that, to me, is the goal. The goal is to not, not to be populist, but to find a way of allowing people to feel really comfortable with art in this domain uh, and then to continue to evolve that with the artists into things that are completely um, new. Uh, as, because I think right now it's been a little bit of a kind of a rush to newness, um, but we don't have that transitional. But most of the transitional stuff right now is kind of banal. Got it. I want to check it out. I want to. I want to see this Dementi verse that has <laughs> been designed. Really set it up. Hopefully, by, it's not just- <laughs> by Hani Rashid here on the the Meta Quest Two. So one thing, one thing that's important to know about this technology is that it's evolving every day, as you know. Yeah. Um, and there's probably more interesting and, and powerful technologies coming down the pipe. Um, so what we're also creating here is something that is meant to evolve um, and change with the technologies as we go forward. So we've used what we think is one of the best platforms for the moment to do this thing, which is spatial. Um, we've, you know, uh, because the tool is accessible to everyone. Um, and so that's where we're kind of starting. Well, I think I'm I'm in the I'm in the spatial environment with you. Make sure I have my right hands in the right place because otherwise I look like I'm totally deformed. Okay, there we are. So I think Ifan is here. Hi, Ifan. Um, Ifan is one of my top designers here, and she did a lot of work on this. I'm happy. Okay, so who's JBS? Is that Jennifer? Hi, Jennifer. Where is she? Miami or? She is in Florida, yes. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, these are kind of just obvious things, but the fact that, that this museum and this space and this environment, this art environment is accessible all over the world. All right, all right let's, let's high five. All right. Welcome. <laughs> so, first thing I just want to tell you about this kind of transitional idea is that if you look up in here, you have a, you know, you have a full sort of envelope of a, of a building with lots of, of, of environments, lots of floors. That's something we're always familiar, we're also familiar with, of course, as, as architectural space, because these are galleries, halls. We've done sort of a, a tracing here. You can see we've done, we brought light and shadow in. We've done a lot of what we call baking and textures, because we really want to give a sense of, of the kind of, again, the sort of spirit and the metaphysic of the place, so that you're not just in a kind of little sort of concrete gallery or something. Um, we have actually here, um, uh, I believe uh, this uh, this one is actually owned by one of the owners, right? By Shalom? Yes, this uh, CryptoPunk here. Um, and we've actually turned it into a sculpture. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting that we start to take these things that, you know, are JPEGs um, and are collected as such as NFTs, and then we can actually build them into these kind of objects and these spatial objects. And you know, along the route to augmented reality, I can imagine construct this being constructed one day in, in, in actuality and being part of the whole collection. So that's kind of a maturing of the, of the NFT, uh, let's say, wow. Wild West. Uh, similarly, up here, uh, Damien Hurst piece, which is owned by Jennifer, which is an NFT. Uh, and we've made it kind of a large piece um, that's, that's really beautiful to, to see at this scale. We have the idea to take you back into kind of, you know, real world possibilities of actually having catalogs. Um, I don't know if you can see these. Yeah, um, I see. I see you're at the first catalog. Of Very course, cool. of course. Who else would I put as the first? I recognize one? David Sally. <laughs> I see you've got some Sarah Mahoyas in here. So this is just this is a mock-up of potential catalogs, which you know could in fact. I mean, it, we could get to the point where you could touch it and then maybe it's sent to your house via FedEx or um, things like that eventually. So there's a kind of a commerce side to this, which is. The ability to you know to buy the catalog, which we we all do when we see compelling shows. I love it. You made a virtual space with a virtual store. Yeah, um, and then if you if you sort of come over here, um, well, let's let's first yeah, let's go let's let's go into the bubble room here. So so before you go there, before you go yeah. here, I mean this space looks incredible, man. Like the textures, the rendering. I, you spent a lot of time in here. Well, like I said, I mean, one of the one of the things is I mean, there's, a, there's a limitation to this software. There's only so much we can do. You know, I have a I have a 25 year old son who's been playing in computers and games since he was one. Um, so, you know, when he looks at it, he's like, you know, Dad, you know, with Unreal Engine, we can do this and you can do that, and you know, all kinds. Of, so there's an amazing chasm right now between a high end uh, simulation software and gaming industry versus this kind of real-time um, social spaces that we're creating. And, and they're coming together slowly. So, But we, as a true creator, you're working within the boundaries and providing an experience that is, is one to be reckoned with. Like, this is, this is phenomenal. Well, thank you. I mean, thank you. I mean, I think part, part of, you know, my thesis work, my master's degree was based, was on alchemy, by the way, just as an aside. So <laughs> the idea of of taking raw materials and doing something with it has always been a big interest to me in the creative in creative work. Um, and I think a lot of artists work that way. That's the art side of artist side of me, I guess, is, is this idea that you, you work with the materials you have and you, and you sort of push the envelope as far as you can um, to create other kinds of, of, of effects. Um, I mean, if we, if we come over here, for example, 
uh, we walk into this room. Um, this is a, you know, again, within the limits of what we're able to do, this is a bubble room that's just experimenting with the idea of kinetic uh, forms and bubbles that are, in fact, in constant motion. Uh, it kind of maps the, how, you know, how extensive and how beautiful the space can be uh, and gives you a sense of being in an installation, an installation like you would, would experience in a, in, a, in a great, you know, gallery or museum or, or art, ex- art experience somewhere. Uh, and again, it's one of those things. Ifan, were you able to come in here and, and look up? Is that something you can do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know if you can pan up. Uh, with, 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 yeah. So it's quite, quite beautiful, quite atmospheric. Uh, of course, we can add a soundtrack to this and so on. Uh, if you come outside, um, we then have another. This is uh, you can see up there. There's a there's a Bitcoin, uh, which is kind yeah. of just, just which we can rotate actually. <laughs> should be rotating. Su- super um, cool. And then we have you know other galleries and other things. Now what's interesting, we we have a thing called the Dementi Lab. Um, if you can see that over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's great about the Dementi Lab is that it's it's supposed to be and it will be a free form experimental space to basically do all kinds of things in, to have lectures, gatherings, um, events, happenings, equivalent of happenings, I suppose, in the metaverse. And what we've done right now, just to kickstart it, is we've got from basically from the Dementi and from the MOCA, um, sort of, uh, let's say the MOCA history of electronic art and and the uh, internet-based art and and all the way to NFTs, there's a kind of chronology here. I don't know if if you find, you can come up and look at it, but you can basically spend some time in this room uh, all the way back to 1963 um, and the kind of pivotal moments. Of course, this is probably up for some Wikipedia editing, um, you know, because it's, but, uh, but it's been pretty, pretty well vetted. It seems very, very good. Uh, 63 to 68, and as I go down the panels, I can see here um, the, the, the sort of milestones in, in electronic art, um, and then all the way to places like ZKM and Karlsruhe, um, where Peter Weibel kind of did some extraordinary things uh, quite quite early on with the, with the advent of that institution. It's actually worked by a friend of mine, um, Richie. Um, over here, then, you know, we keep going. Uh, Jeff Shaw's work. Uh, we put our own virtual museum. The first one we designed for the Guggenheim is actually part of the timeline here. Um, famous show at SF MoMA, very important show, important catalog. And then, you know, kind of the, the continuation of this into the sort of what we would now call the, the NFT um, sort of art, um, sort of generative sort of world that's taking place that's become sort of incredible uh, and rampant all the way to the, you know, as we come over here, we have the CryptoPunk and all the litany of things that started to take place, the shows that opened, the important sort of venues, um, and we, we continue around um, all the way to the Sotheby's, uh, situation and all the way to where we are today, uh, and we should probably add here the Dementi verse at the end of this one for now and keep on going. But it's a it's a nice it's an interesting thing, and what's really compelling about making this room like this for now, just as a starting point, as a Kickstarter, is that it has, and this is what the whole project is about. It has a kind of stickiness to it. it it's it's the thing to me about the metaverse that will make it really take off. Um, is the fact that you have compelling experiences in here that you want to come back to. Uh, culture is a, obviously a big one. Um, shopping, of course, and all the other things that are taking place. But culture, to me, is probably the most profoundly sticky space that we can create. Um, and so the idea of having something like this where you could bring school kids through, 
you can have collectors uh, and so on. And then, of course, this room can change. And I think the Dementi idea is to program this room differently. We have a stage here, which I thought you and I should start on. Actually, it was one of the ideas. And I thought of making it a boxing ring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I thought that's maybe a little, a little too much. But, you know, we, and, um, and then, you know, we can, we can talk from up here. When we finally get legs, I'm, I think it'll be even more interesting. Um, but for now, you know, we're, we're sort of, uh, uh, you know, evolving. Um, but this is, this is an interesting space. And I think it has uh, a powerful kind of presence and a potential. And again, you know, this is a space that I think should be, well, let's put it this way. Museum of Modern Art in the previous version, the first version, had an experimental art room downstairs for young artists and experimental artists. Unfortunately, it went away with the renovation, but it was a really important space. I remember when I first moved to New York, that was the gallery I beelined to, just to see what, you know, up-and-coming, interesting, off sort of off-Broadway artists were producing. And I think this room could really be that kind of, um, could be part of that in terms of just uh, different events, different experiences, and so on. And it's part of it. So, you know, we literally walked in here from a kind of more structured place into, into this kind of, um, into this environment. So if we go out of here, um, let's go up the escalator. Hani, one thing I will say about that space, to me, what is most fascinating is the ability to create immersive learning experiences. Mm-hmm. I think that, one, being in this 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 metaverse it's, it's very calming it's very soothing but it's it really did feel like a lab where it's like i could go in there and i could spend you know 10 minutes just studying a timeline and come up with my own ideas take the headset off do a little bit of drafting come back and study again and, and the fact that you're never really going to run out of wall space allows you to tell stories that you just couldn't tell before as an artist or as a creator well, it's interesting too because I know that you know we've done a, we've done some physical museum designs. Of course, we've done a number of museums. We worked with the Guggenheim for a long time, and a big part of the programming when we do these physical buildings uh, was the education wings um, and the idea that you could bring children in and kids and, and local neighborhoods into into a museo- into museological space into a kind of space like this and have them experiment, uh, produce ideas, produce works. And I think that's more pertinent than ever. Uh, given what we're seeing in the NFT world. I mean, to have kids in there, yeah. spend a weekend creating NFTs um, would be amazing. Uh, one one thing, too, is, I mean, fundraisers. You can think yep. about a fundraiser yeah, in, that, in that room. Yeah, <laughs> that would be different. No, I'm, I'm picturing, I've, I've already talked to my friend Simone de Puri. I wrote him a text. I said, do you want to do a gala a, a auction in my in my museum? It's finally built. And he goes, which one? And I said, well, I can't tell you which one, but there is one that I want you to show up in. Um, but if we go up here, um, so here, uh, man, I can see myself in these stairs. What kind of material is this, honey? Yeah, that's a very rare onyx that we used. Okay. Uh, very, very expensive, by the way. Uh, onyx, and, not like the Pokemon, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. That was shipped all the way from, uh, from some far island in Fiji somewhere. Okay. Huh. So here we have a, a very beautifully grafted, uh, Graphic work on the um, on the upcoming program, which you of course are very yeah, much. I, I know a lot of these artists, and I know they're going to be very excited to yeah. see this space because this is the first time we're seeing it. Yeah. But you know, obviously, we, we kicked it off with you, Hani Rashid, the one and only. And, and when I come in here, I understand why you are the Hani Rashid. <laughs> but looking forward to our upcoming programming with JPEG Protocol. We've got Sarah Mohoyas, uh, Pindar has some very in- interesting things he's going to curate in this space that I've heard about. Uh, we've got Richie Albinda and uh, 
Zoe Buckman and Josephine Messapeaker and a few others that are just going to be having a lot of fun in your space that you, 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 you really did create a canvas that now allows for artists of all types to come and explore and really get their first metaverse lap underneath their belt. It's funny because I remember one of my favorite exhibitions was in Bonn, uh, was a Joseph Boyce exhibition in Bonn I saw years ago. And Joseph Boyce had decided to basically bulldoze away uh, the back end of the museum um, <laughs> and put like some, some fur and some fat in, in this hole. Um, and I thought, you know, I wonder what artists will do with this space. Um, and, and, you know, of course, if they bulldoze it and put fur and fat in, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that the thing that I, I've always thought about with, with, and the reason that we, we work on the museums we work on is that I think, and on, on, on art spaces that we work on like this, and even in the physical world, is that I think these things provoke artists. It, my theory about the Guggenheim by Frank Lloyd Wright was that it was a, a provocation to artists to think about the way they show their work and talk about their work and make their work. And so when Rosenquist or Rauschenberg or whomever would take up wall space in the, in the Solomon R. Guggenheim, they were in a, in a new kind of viewing of, of a space across a vast atrium, juxtaposed against other works. You know, and we've seen that all the way through to you know, Catalan's and, and, and Kai Saiko Chang's installations last few years and other people. Um, you know, Nam June Pike. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing when a, a space has a kind of ability to uh, provoke the artists to to try different things and to experiment. And so that's sort of was the thinking here that the whole place allows that. So if we go around well, here, well, for, well, to build off of that idea, even honey, you know, one thing that you you just sparked in my mind is oftentimes when you have uh, some an artist that has left a, a tremendous legacy on the world. I think of like the Carl Lagerfields or the Virgil Abloh's. Uh, there are states they come into play and they're they're trying to figure out, you know, what do you do with all the work? You could really showcase someone's entire catalog in a metaverse experience like this, and that could be a very big deal. Well, the beautiful thing too, yeah, you're right. And one of the things that we were really um, enjoying a lot in, in installing and doing things is that we. The notion of scale and detail is really interesting. Like, for example, this NFT by David Sally over here, um, which I can play. Let me just click on. You can experience the NFT um, as, a, as a standalone, either in here, uh, which is extraordinary to see, or um, on a screen like that as a, as a video. And then, and then, of course, stop. And the sound, of course, comes with it and everything else. So it's kind of... It's a personal movie theater. Yeah. Just for your NFTs. Okay, so we stop that. So if we go over down the hall here to now the thing about you know the space and the environment is that you know you have one thing I always loved about the Whitney in New York was that window um, that allowed you in the middle of the third or fourth floor to look out onto Madison Avenue or wherever it was. Um, so I think that the idea of constantly being aware of the fact that you're in an environment and there's an exterior to the interior, you know, I can I don't know if, if Yifan can do it, but I can walk right over here and look down this crevice at the, at the lower floor. I can walk over to this balcony um, and basically look down at the space where I came where I came up here from. So this constant referencing back and forth, which is something we know from physical museums, is very important. So if I go down the hall here, uh, we have some work up by Sarah Mahonis um, here. And yeah, to your point about about overs of work and, and catalog raisonné and so on, yeah, you can really sort of... Um, get the work uh, on, on the surface with relatively good detail. I mean, in, in the headset here, I'm looking at very beautiful high-res prints, um, which, you know, might as well be on my wall in my house. Um, and then over here, we've got some, we've blown up some of them. 
to, to just give an experience of an installation. Oh, this one's 3D. Yeah, so these are actually her kind of, you know, 3D worlds, which we've mapped up as 2D, you know, on these environments. And in here, we can run her film. So this is a video room. Um, and I don't know if it's working. Is it working? Yeah. Yeah, so that's another, you know, environment. We can go back out through here. Um, the work I told you about that we were doing back in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s, uh, was, is, these are two of many pieces that I did that I just put up to try out and see what, what they're like as, as, you know, on these surfaces. So I don't think you can see and this them. was in the virtual stock exchange? No, these are actually the first sketches for the virtual Guggenheim, um, oh. which are actually morphs. Um, so they, they actually are animated. So these are just, you know, these are early, like, yeah, I mean, this children only a mother could love, I guess. But these were, you know, uh, it was a, a software, I forget even the software we were using at the time, Softimage 1.0 or something, and Alias, first Alias software packages, and all the first uh, Photoshop packages. Man, how much RAM did you have on a computer back then? No, nothing. You know, like... <laughs> 32 megabyte hard drive. I remember that. Wow. Um, so anyway, okay, so let's go. Yeah, I think that's that's all we've seen. Now there's more upstairs. We can continue up. I don't know if you want to keep going. Yeah, let's, let's see. Um, what, you have, what do you have? So, okay, so we go back up the escalator here. Um, now the nice thing about the metaverse is... Um, Real estate is, is, can keep going forever. So this tower will be very, very tall one day. Hmm. <laughs> um, but here oh, we, wow, look at the bubbles. Yeah, so you can actually look down into the bubble room from here. Oh, wow. Um, and, so you know, so you if could, I went down there and you, and it, yeah, you, you yeah. could see me? And if and your could... friend showed up and they're down there, they can wave at you and you say, I'm up on the third floor, you know, join me. That's interactive. Um, and then if I walk around here, there's a very nice balcony that we also potentially could install on. So what do, you, what do you think about Metaverse house parties? Do you think that's going to be a wave? Well, the day we can get like 4,000 people in here uh, will be quite a party. Um, <laughs> right now we're limited to 50, but that still could be an interesting party. Um, you can see over there the Bungie uh, video on that, on that floor, which we can go around to. There's a room over there for um, Zoe um, Buckman. And then there's another room over there where we've installed some, some M-scape work that, that I did. Wow. Um, so we can go around here. Let's go there. Um, so we'll, we'll go to that space. So, you know, this, this is a uh, Frank Stella that's actually owned by um, um, Dominique. Um, and it's not an NFT. That's just a work. And the reason we put that in there, by the way, the reason we put that in there was we wanted to test, uh, you know, uh, non-NFT art uh, as, as part of the environment also to see what would happen if you had a mix of, let's say, um, old world art <laughs> versus... I don't, should I go into this room or no? We don't go in the Buckman room. Should we go? Let's go around the corner here, and we can go all the way. Uh, we can watch the Bungie video. Um, yeah, the Roblox. Uh, the, one of the things you guys commissioned in Roblox. Yeah, no, we we worked with the artist Brendan Murphy, Brendan Murphy. to create a Bungie world in Roblox, and that's what you're watching here. And it's it's incredible the fact that you gave that 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 experience that we created an additional life because you know many people will only be able to experience it in Roblox but now it lives lives forever in our museum. And in this room, uh, we installed some work that I did. This is my work uh, based on Solowitz sculptures that I was dismantling a few years ago and and, and losing my mind over. Um, 
So these are just some some of these. Um, so honey, when 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 can I you know put my drawings up? You, whenever you want. That's that's the beauty of this place. We can, uh, <laughs> we can like take a look. I don't, I don't I don't think I'm as talented as you, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but I thought these were interesting because they were they were kind of um, you know f- taking the the idea of Solowitz, very beautiful cube structures, and seeing what would happen if they were kind of, um, you know, atomized and dematerialized. And that's what this I love about. the colors, especially on this one, because it's muted, yet it still has like a crazy texture. Yeah. Uh, the, the question I have for you here is, you know, metaverse graffiti. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's going to be a thing? Uh, yeah, I could I can see it becoming something quite, quite powerful. I mean, one of the things I think as these tools evolve, um, the ability to give people um, the tools to come in and do things and, 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 and to write uh, to make graffiti, to add notes, and so on. I think it's really compelling. What sure. What about uh, screenshots? You know, how, like the screenshot is it's taking on a life of its own on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think that like the screenshots in here is that something you're you're worried about as a creator, or do you encourage that? No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's you know, I had a very good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away. He was a big collector, and he used to um, rant about how he didn't like the authority of the of the of the way curators would make him look at art. Um, so he would go to, he was a big collector actually, and he would go and collect things. This is way before, it's a few years ago now. Um, he would collect things uh, by taking pictures. He would sneak cameras in because the cameras weren't allowed. Um, he was a very eccentric guy. And take these pictures, go back and reinstall the shows the way he wanted to see them. Um, and, and I think that, you know, uh, and in fact, I did these pieces for, for Alan, for him, because he was obsessed with, with Solowit. Um, and so I think that, you know, uh, no, I think by all means, there's a, you know, the interesting thing about building this and designing this is that there's an aspect to it of respect, respect for the work, respect for the artists, learning about art, all the things that we, we hold dear in terms of, of, of why we go and have art experiences. At the same time, there needs to be these places which you can, like I said, that whether the laboratory downstairs, whether we create other spaces uh, where you can curate your own shows, um, do whatever you want and, and, and turn it into kind of a and a way to to resituate and rethink art, um, but I think it's a it's a fine line. Um, my, my condolences to your friend, and I'm I'm sure he's very proud of his room here. It's very spectacular. Yeah, yeah he uh, yeah, he he left an amazing photo collection to uh, in Houston. Actually, you probably know who he is. I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it later. So um, yeah, so here, yeah. So I don't know if you can see. We're looking down here to the space again. Um, so we have this constant references back and forth. I can see somebody over there on the balcony. Honey, how did you create the depth? The, the depth here is unreal. Literally. Yeah, yeah. It's called architecture. This is, this is, <laughs> this is what architecture is all about. Yeah. This is the real deal, my guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, I think what, what, what you have to realize is, um, you know, uh, I guess in every discipline, we, we spend a lot of time honing our craft and... Lizanne and I have been working on these kinds of environments for a long time um, and, and doing a lot of practicing. And one of the things about being an architect in this day and age, um, you lose a lot of competitions. You enter a lot of competitions and you lose them. I remember I watched John Nouvel when I first started practicing and he gave a lecture and he said, I'm going to show you 150 projects and 149 of them I lost in competition. Um, hmm. And I thought, okay, what kind of a career have I gotten myself into? Um, but it's the reality of what we do. But each time is a dress rehearsal, is a piano recital, uh, it's tuning your instrument again for the next time. And this to me, uh, and that's why I'm actually very happy to be doing this project with, with you guys, is, is a kind of getting on stage with a lot of um, rehearsals in our back pocket to finally 
experience. And for me, the thrill here, if I go back to the story toward the beginning of, of Lisa and I in our mid-20s doing the steel cloud, um, this was my dream, that we could build projects that people could experience, that I could walk through with you in, a, in an actual spatial experience that we will now remember. You will remember yeah. this experience as having been real. You, you know um, why I'll remember it, though? <laughs> I've seen almost 10,000 CryptoPunks, but I've never seen a CryptoPunk like that. This yeah. is, this is mm-hmm. like, I mean, you brought a CryptoPunk to life. It made, you made it cooler than it already was. Yeah. No, I, I, I actually want to put one of these up in our country house. Oh, wow. <laughs> out in the woods. You're um, going to bring it into real life now? I'd like to build that one, yeah. But I have to ask Shalom for permission. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, and we can keep on going. We can go all the way. There's a, there's a, well, there's a theaters on the roof here. Wait, there's an auditorium have, upstairs. There's we a have lot to of save some for the people. You know, they have got to, I, I've got to save some for the artists and all the, the, the people that are going to, you know, inhabit this space because I don't think the space is going to be dead, honey. I think you're going to have 50 people in here all the time. Um, the notion of chance, I said this in the other video we did, and the notion of, of, of discovery and learning um, and, and opening your eyes to things uh, and, and, and having artists tell you stories, is, is a, it's the reason why we read books, it's the reason why we go to theater, it's the reason why we, want, we need culture. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to see this place become um, a, a, a regular haunt um, for you know, uh, people who just need to go and have another cultural experience, need to see something, they hear about something, they want something, they just spend time with it. I mean, I'm always intrigued by two things at the Met. Um, one is the, um, the security guards who know more about the art that they're looking at than most people, mm-hmm. <laughs> who give weird talks about it if you ask them. Um, and the other is the people who sit on benches and stare at paintings for a long, long time. Um, and I think those are two experiences that we need to find uh, and bring to the metaverse and will happen it will be the case right now it's novel i think a lot of people you know zip through these spaces fast they look at nfts they go from one guy to the next blah 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 Uh, but there will come a moment when uh, and this is what this is about uh, where it becomes a a much richer experience Um, and i think one thing that's interesting about this is you could spend a long time here and you still haven't seen everything um, there's a lot to see and a lot to experience. And we haven't even put any art in yet, quite frankly. We just yeah, started. No, the, the programming is, is spectacular. The yeah. fact that we already have you know, several artists that are ready to, I would say, uh, put their mark in your space. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm going to open a portal. Um, just let me get it loaded here. It looks so good. So this is what I was talking about with the, the sort of McLuhan thing. Um, the idea being that, that we create transitions. So this is a... So you see this here, this portal yeah, I just yeah, put up? Yeah. So if, I, if we press on this, we'll all go to now a, a Sarah Mahonis installation that we kind of collaborated with her on um, that's still in development. But, you know, click on that and we, and we have an entirely different kind of experience, um, which right. we travel there. We're traveling to the Sarah Mahonis <laughs> preview. Um, so what this is, is a... Um, oh, you, you really are taking this heaven and hell thing to, to light. <laughs> I feel like I just met Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll keep my beard as trimmed as possible. Um, so this is uh, a kind of space that we were influenced or inspired by her NFT work, which is this piece up here that's hanging in the room. Is, is Yifan in here already? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in fact, Ifan, Ifan worked on this and created much of this. Uh, so this, this is the NFT piece here. Oh, who's up there floating in space? Wow. Um, 
And then what we did is we spatialized it. So we literally, not, not, the, not the company special, we, we turned it into a, a spatiality. And you can see how we've started to take them. What, what in Sarah's case are mirrors. This, this, this is quite a beautiful image because it's just two mirrors that then end up producing a kind of virtual architecture, a kind of colonnaded space by virtue of the arches of the mirrors. So it's an interesting, really interesting, um, phenomenal sort of uh, image. And so we we took that sort of bull by the horns and said, okay, well, let's make the, let's really build that uh, as a, as a kind of island in which her NFT is is kind of enshrined. Um, and so we, we even imitated her sky um, that's in the image as the actual environment. Which this is. And this can this can go on. There's a number of ideas here of, of if this is actually an NFT as a spatial project. I mean, if this whole thing is an NFT, you could put your own things into this or have it as a kind of a, a, a beach house. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, this is, um, this is like the after party, you know, after bar, you come here. If like the overflow or if it, like the party gets too popping, I'll just drop into this portal. <laughs> um, and, and, and we're doing, we're, we're hoping to do these with a number of artists. Um, it's really a matter of, of, you know, both of us putting our swords down, let's say our egos and figuring out a way to, um, to collaborate, to produce uh, another kind of compelling experience, which is obviously, you know, as I said, it, it, it's a transit. It's these are the voids. These are the kind of Alice in Wonderland stepping through the looking glass worlds um, that the other space you're in. How'd you get the movement? Spot. How'd you get the movement to to like be so? Yeah, I've got you know my magician Dennis. Uh, Dennis, Dennis the magician. I mean, like, it's like Marvel is moving. Like, that is so surreal. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny because as architects, one of the discussions Dennis and I had in here when we were doing this was, you know, could you imagine a client letting us laser cut marble this big? Yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, dude, that's like, got to be some heavy going marble. To, going to Carrara and actually, like, going, no, no, I want a, I want a piece that's, you know, 18 meters, 22 meters high, Whoa. and I want it laser cut uh, perfectly into arches. Trippy, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, my mind's like blown, literally. No, it's 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 a it's an amazing experience uh, to actually be working in this environment as, as architects and and doing what we can. You know, again, one of the things that I'm I'm kind of committed to is that the the theory, the history, the um, the sort of you know the 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 work we do as architects has a lot of value when we apply it very just in a very disciplined way to this to this stuff. Um, and I think one of the criticisms I have of what I'm seeing, but it's you know only because it's in its nascent period, is that some people think that it's a it's kind of a free for all that we can eliminate you know all the past, all history, uh, and just produce you know sort of. But but those things aren't grounded, and they don't. There's something amiss there. And you know I've always subscribed to the idea of of standing on the shoulders of giants, and you know this this has all kinds of weird histories in it, and and I always wonder what. The giant's shoulders that I'm standing on, if, they, if I'm getting them to turn in their graves, uh, which, which is sort of my goal. Um, <laughs> because, so I, I don't uh, know how much you know about like, the, the crypto verse. Have you, have you spent any time there yet? Well, I'm learning every day much more. Yeah. So, you know, you've seen the prices for some of these NFTs, right? Oh, yeah. Pretty astronomical. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people, they do it just because they want to flex or have a certain social status in the, the digital space. Same way, you, you know, you might buy an old school Rolex or something. And what's fascinating to me when I'm in like this room 
is imagine having like a, a date night you know you have your your crypto date you want to bring them somewhere <laughs> and like you know you buy the honey machine <laughs> i don't know okay sarah mahoya's space and we set up like a virtual dinner and, and date night in here what do you think is that a cheap date uh, yeah, it's a, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad I, I'm sort of missed out on that. <laughs> we have spent now, I don't know how much time because I can't see my watch, but I think we've, we've spent easily an hour, maybe more. Um, I'm completely comfortable. I could continue in here with you for a long time. I know you're sitting right next to me in reality, um, but you know, it's, there's nothing ejecting me out of here, and that's really interesting. Um, no, again, to, to understand as a, as someone creating space in this world, in this environment, it definitely is a private club element to it. I I mean, you you're a teacher, a professor, and you have students, and I'm sure you've seen some of your students come up with some of the craziest ideas and, and wonky concepts. But if I were a student of yours, I would I would try to get the A by taking one of your spaces, live streaming one of your lectures into the space, and then I would find like the coolest kids and we'd all be here. We'd wonder, you know, like we would know everything you were teaching in class, but you would never know where Is it we too were. late for you to become one of my students? <laughs> <laughs> like, or at least come and tell we, them that? We, we would, we would, we would uh, yeah, we, you would never know where we were. You never figured out. And then one day we'd tell you, like right before the final, be like, yeah, we, we, we were studying. Yeah. No, no, you know, uh, COVID accelerated all of this stuff. And, and I, I graduated six thesis, master's students in, in, in uh, VR. Really? Um, Wait, we, that's, that's actually possible? Yeah, yeah I was yeah. kidding. No, no, no. I, 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 the last two, two and a half years, I, I was teaching all my master's. In fact, Dennis, who worked on this, was one of my students. And most of the work he did was uh, in, in the metaverse. We worked on his models, his structures, his ideas. I mean, the nice thing about this from a, ped- from a teaching point of view is that I'm able to meet, I've been able to meet my thesis students and, and we work like directly in their models, we scale them, we walk around. Um, but a lot of the questions that, a lot of things that we've put into this, we learned from those experiences of, of what it's like to teach in this uh, environment. For sure. Well, let's take, take us back home. And uh, I'm, I'm still, my mind's still blown, man. Like, I mean, you've got marble moving. I mean, it was that was that's the longest I've sit, s- spent talking to someone in VR, and it was much. Whoa, different. you guys are here. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> that was wild. That's wild. No, really, I, 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 I was. That's, oh wow! Look at you. You're there. Yeah, I'm here. I'm Did still you feel here. me t- tapping your head all the yeah, time? I felt you tapping my foot, but that was about it. Honey, yeah. This is the this is the the Dementi Metaverse as designed by you. Me and my, my, my crew, yeah. Asymptote. Yeah. So tell us about the crew at Asymptote. You, you founded it in... Well, you know, it's funny. Lizanne and I, when we, when we left grad school, um, she, she went to Yale. I went to a place called Cranbrook, which I don't know if anybody knows where that is, um, outside of Detroit. And um, when we started practicing, I started the studio in Milan, mm-hmm. uh, actually. I moved to Milan immediately and started trying to practice there. Practice meant like living in a garret with a, a Dutch painter an Italian metaphysician and a, and a weird, uh, it was weird. And we did a lot of smoking <laughs> and talking, um, but we couldn't get any jobs. And, and it was like, you know, but we had this idea for, for a practice, like for, a, for a, an experimental studio. And Lizanne showed up and she was doing um, bike, she was doing this competitive cycling thing in, in uh, south of France. And so she's like, you know, she was well fed and fit, and I was like, you know, a mess. 
And she's like, you know, I think we should move the studio somewhere where we can actually, you know, have a have a world, have a business. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, not just like hanging around in your garret all day long, like like imagining what the world's going to look like. Um, so we we um, so we we got up and left and came to New York. Um, and our kind of philosophy was to create an, uh, an atelier or a studio where we ourselves um, would love to go to every day and work in. And that was our whole mandate. And so anyone who's working with us uh, can sense that. I think the people that we have with us who are fantastic, Ifan is sitting there, you know, <laughs> she's amazing. Um, other people that are here, some are remote now. A lot of them are remote as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's generally, uh, it's an old school idea of the atelier with a kind of um, obviously 21st to 22nd century immersion in technology and, and well, yeah i love that honey it's been a pleasure the Me metaverse i'm super excited for it you know that that, that metaverse <laughs> hand hand <pop. laughs> and you uh, miss those sparkles now no i mean I, I see it in real life you know you don't see in 3d <laughs> no i don't see in 3d you don't see it 3d oh no. man you know one of the reasons i never really got into drugs at all <laughs> was because my mind goes totally insane with dimensional space, which I, re- I think I'm already quite, you know, adequately drugged. Um, so it, it's, just been a, it's just a bad idea um, to get high and, and, and see space <laughs> for me personally. But yeah, no, um, I see, I see I feel, a lot, I feel I like see the, a lot I, in 3D. I feel movement. like you got high in there. Like, <laughs> you took, took a few places. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I thought about this the other day because sometimes when we're doing projects here and even our building projects, um, I will come to the office and sometimes have meetings and say, you know, I've, I've, I've got the idea and, it's, and Ifan, who's one of my best designers, will say to me, well, how do you, you know, we just started. How did you have that idea? And I said, well, you know, I kind of, from the time I went to sleep till I woke up, I built about 1,100 models in my head. Um, and this is the one I arrived at, right? Which isn't, you know, always the right one, but... It is, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an obsessive um, way of being to just be always in spatially making things in your, in your mind. And the, and, the, and the great designers are like that, that, that I work with. And we, we, uh, well, Hani, the architect, the wizard, the legend, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, and for the people that want to check out the Dementi Metaverse, we have a few headsets that are on display. And you can go ahead and get an exclusive sneak peek today. Yep. Thank you for coming. Breaking news.